నిరంజనం నిత్యం అనంతరూపం భక్తానుకంపాధృతవిగ్రహం వై ఈశావతారం పరమేశమిడ్యం తం రామకృష్ణం శిరసానమామ జననిం సారదాంగీం రామకృష్ణం జగద్గురుం పాదపద్మీతయోస్వా ప్రణమాముహూరుముహు నమశ్రీయతిరాజాయ వివేకానందసూరై సచ్చిదిసుఖస్వరూపాయ స్వామినే తాపహారిణి so we were reading and discussing the seventh chapter of swami vivekananda's karma yoga the chapter titled freedom in which we saw that swami vivekananda started the lecture with the idea that the so called free will is a misnomer as such we don't have free will and we were trying to discuss with the help of modern psychology that even the model modern psychology subscribes to this idea it approves this idea that actually there is nothing called free will there is not one mind our mind as such is constituted of various mental modules and there is not a single module which is controlling the other modules at a particular situation only one mental module gets activated there cannot be more than one module getting activated at a time but which module will get activated for that there is no decision making factor within us it is the external circumstances the situations which determines which mental module will get active and once the mental module gets active it has its own stimuli response conditioning and it will respond as per those fixed stimuli response conditioning giving us the feeling that we are the one who have decided so that's how we were trying to discuss that the so called free will is a misnomer so in karma yoga then if we don't have free will then what actually is the thing implied by karma yoga the thing which is implied is that yes it is true that all the mental modules which constitutes our mind they as such are having that free as uh, fixed stimuli response conditioning but one thing that which mental module gets activated more frequently it is depend on the mental modules which we are nurturing more and more that we were giving an example that suppose you have the habit of feeding the birds every day lot of birds come and you feed them now the more you feed them the more they get stronger if you stop feeding them they in a few days will get the feedback that we are not going to be fed anymore and they will stop coming so why at a particular situation a module gets easily activated is because we are nurturing them again and again we have got identified with them so in karma yoga that's the idea is that let the world or let the our responsibilities which we have let that let that go on let us continue with our responsibilities but at the same time with the idea that seek not avoid not i have to be detached 
knowing very well as per the present circumstance of life, particular modules are getting activated and it is having its own response. And as per my responsibilities of life, I have to go with the flow as per the mind is dictating me. But the more and more I am aware of the real fact that I am not the doer, I am not the enjoyer. Kartritva and Bhaktritva. That I am not the one who is enjoying Bhaktritva and Kartritva. I am not the doer. I go, go away. I try to just always be away from this idea of the doer and the enjoyer and allow the karma to flow on as per its past impulse with which it has started. I cannot stop it immediately. If I have decided to board a flight and the plane is already uh, has taken has taken off for going towards destination, sitting on the plane, if I think that I was not supposed to take this flight, this was not my destination. There is no other way. I have to, as I have already boarded the plane, till it lands, I have to be on the plane. There's no other way. So the karma that has ensued, as per my past samskaras, the karma which has already ensued and has already started taking, taking shape, I'm already on the flight. I cannot stop it. It has to continue. But I shouldn't get identified with the idea that I am doing. As per my past samskaras, the modules which are predominant that has got activated and they're responding as per the stimuli in the fixed manner, I am just the observer going through it without getting attached to it. And that's the idea with which we've concluded our lecture that the cause of suffering is the trishna, that we are clinging, we are clinging to all those uh, mental modules and always going through this joys and sorrows of life, thinking that they are something which is affecting me. So in the words of Swamiji, he clings on desperately unto Trishna and the thirst after life, what the Buddhists call Tanha or Tissa. There may be millions of kinds of happiness and beings and laws and progress and causation, all acting outside the little universe that we know. And after all, the whole of this comprises but one section of our infinite nature. So we have to go beyond it. How to go beyond it? Now Swamiji will, speaking, will be speaking of the way to transcend this bondage, to acquire freedom. In the words of Swamiji, again, we go back to the words of Swamiji, to acquire freedom, we have to get beyond the limitations of this universe. It cannot be found here. That freedom cannot be found here. Perfect equilibrium, or what the Christians call the peace that passeth all understanding cannot be had in this universe or in heaven or in any place where our mind and thought can go, where the senses can fill or which the imagination can conceive. So this is the idea that freedom, which we are searching here, can never be realized here in this dimension of existence. That in the last class we were discussing that we want the world minus all the suffering. That can never be. In our life we find that, that constantly we are trying to search the answer where the answer is not. We always try to relate to this world of our sensate existence and try to find peace within, which is not going to be. That's the thing we were discussing again and again in so many other contexts also. That all the limitations that we speak of, which we feel in our life from where it comes, 
it comes from a sense of inescapable trauma. We all go through it. At present, we are going through it. When the humanity was thinking that it has total control over its own destiny, it has as if conquered the nature, we suddenly find for the last one year, now it's more than a year, that we are going through the crisis in the form of pandemic for which we are really fumbling. We don't know what's the solution. We are yet to uh, win over it. And there's a big question that such limitations are there which will be coming in various forms again and again. The entire our existence is dependent on such a subtle balance, a little change in the temperature of the sun, a little change in the cosmic limit, this, all the conditions can immediately result in our annihilation. With all our science, with all our technology, we have no control over it. And now and again, again and again, we find nature just makes us aware of that fact. And in life, it is something unavoidable. We have to go through this inescapable trauma. And that results in learned helplessness in the language of modern psychology. We learn through the inescapable trauma, we learn that we are helpless and that results in a sort of pessimism. Even in the last class, even in the class of uh, our Bhagavatam, Srimad Bhagavatam, we were discussing on this, the same topic we can take up here, that this pessimism is an inevitable fact of life. As a young person, we are all optimistic and as we grow old, we become more and more pessimistic. We started with so much of hope. We started with so much of aspirations, with all our qualifications, with all our qualities, we thought that we have full control over the life. And then we find that we have been cornered in such a way that we cannot even move an inch out of it. And this results in pessimism. But are we bound for that pessimism? The question of freedom can never be till we try to find the answer in this limited sense of existence. If we try to find the answer within our sunset world, pessimism is the thing which is inevitable. We cannot get rid of it. Now that experiment which we were speaking of, let us just resort to it to understand that what, how the pessimism comes into picture. That it's a very common, uh, it's a very famous experiment in science that in a cage, there are some will in the middle and some rats are kept on the other side of the cage and the other side of the, on the other extreme end, there's some food. To get the food, the rat has to cross over the wheels. And the wheels at beginning, is made totally frictionless. And when the rats try to ride over the wheels, they find that the wheels go on revolving. They try their best to go to the other side, but it has become like a treadmill. They just go on revolving in the same, the wheels go on revolving and they just go on moving in the same place. They cannot proceed. Though they see the food in front of them, they cannot proceed. So this inescapable trauma leads to learned helplessness. How? If there are 10 rats, next moment I increase the friction of the wheel a bit more. And now easily the rats can cross over. But when with a little effort they cannot, they won't try hard. Somehow they have learned that we are helpless. We cannot cross over it. So they don't attempt anymore. They become pessimistic. But it's not all. Out of 10 rats, most probably eight won't try to cross, two somehow cross. So now the question is that how come, though the majority is pessimistic, how the two are optimistic? They also went through that inescapable trauma. 
what made them try hard and just cross over. So this is the subject of interest that there are most of us when we see half glass of water, we say it is half empty. That's the majority, that's the pessimistic. A few says, no, it is half full, optimistic. So what's the difference? What are the traits which make this difference? So now if you study, it's a very matter of common sense. There are various traits, but we will let us take up just two traits, which differentiates between a pessimist and an optimist. What are the two traits? First, the pessimist always think the problem to be permanent. That all these problems of life, they're going to be there and I cannot, I have to, I am bound to go through that inescapable trauma and there is no way out. They're all permanent. The optimist take each and every situation afresh. Yes, the last occasion was something which has resulted in inescapable trauma. That doesn't mean that all the situations of life are like that. The next moment I will try anew, afresh, with more enthusiasm. Most probably I will succeed. So they take each and every problem as something new. So the problems are temporary for them, not permanent. For a pessimist, the problems of life are permanent. For optimists, it is temporary. Every time they take the challenge in a, with fresh enthusiasm, new enthusiasm. That's one. The other main different thing, main trait which differentiates between optimist and a pessimist is when a pessimist has a problem, that problem becomes all pervasive. To, un, to just understand what it is meant by all pervasive, that suppose a student is good in all the subjects, but is weak in maths. Now he becomes so pessimistic, so dejected about his weakness in maths that it starts affecting other subjects. If he or she would have accepted that, yes, I am not that strong in maths, but okay, out of nine faculties, the other, out of the nine uh, learning faculties, attained uh, nine faculties, nine are okay for me. Why not I just try to strengthen where my strength is? Why should I brood over my weakness? But the pessimist make the weakness over that, what is all pervasive, constantly goes on brooding over it and all the things on which it had strength, it simply neglects that. And that's how the small thing becomes all pervasive. And it happens in our life that all the handicaps which we have, which is actually is not a handicap. We actually, it is our mental trait, which makes us more and more handicapped. I still remember a movie long back I saw. It's about a dancer who lost one of the legs and then they have to use the prosthetics. And with the prosthetics, she was dancing just like any other normal skillful dancer. And when it was asked, she was interviewed, that how come in spite of your, this handicaps, in spite of being handicapped, how can you just have developed such a wonderful skill? And she replied very nicely, I am not handicapped. The society is handicapped. I never took it as a handicap. That was just a part of my being. It, is, it, it didn't engulf my entire being. I accepted that limitation, tried and overcome that handicap. It is a society who thinks I cannot do it. it is, the handicap actually belongs to them. So this is the thing which pessimist speaks of. They make the problem all pervasive. And for an optimist, it is just local. That's just a thing which in which most out of 10 faculties, one faculty is not good for me. The other are good. Why not I try to develop them? Why not I try to culture them? So these are the two basic traits which differentiates between 
one uh, who is optimist and one who is pessimist. And the, from this, the third trait which automatically follows that which makes one pessimist and other optimist is that the pessimist thinks nothing is under my control. Everything is beyond my control. And the optimist thinks I am in charge of the situations. So these are the basic traits. Now, after understanding these basic traits, let us try to understand that what Swamiji is speaking here to acquire freedom. We have to go beyond the limitations of the universe. This is a big thing that all answers cannot be found in the censored dimension of our existence. Even previously in some class, we gave that example that sometimes we don't find an answer because we are searching the answer only in a particular dimension of reality in which that answer is not there. Very common example, which we have cited previously, we will cite it again. That example of drawing four triangles by joining four points. Try to join four triangles by joining four points. You can never do it. Somewhere or other, the lines which you are drawing will intersect to create the fifth point. You try your best, it is almost impossible to draw exactly four triangles by joining four points. And there shouldn't be the lines intersecting each other to create the fifth or the sixth point. So it is almost impossible. The answer is you have to draw three points on the paper and have to imagine the fourth point in the space. Now you will get a triangular pyramid. The base is one triangle and from each of the point, three points, now draw a line to the fourth point on the space, you get another three triangles on the third dimension, on the height, and it forms a triangular pyramid. And now that's the only answer. So why I was not getting the answer? Because I was trying to find the answer only in two dimensions in the page. Unless I related to the third dimension, the height, the space, I can never get that answer. Similarly, in our life, that our constant search for happiness in this plane of existence, our search for going beyond all limitations, to not experience any trauma, to escape all the trauma in this plane of existence, you can never find. The answer is not available here unless we are relating to that another dimension of our existence, which is our spiritual dimension of existence. You will say how it helps. The straits let us take, the temporary and permanent. The moment I relate to my spiritual dimension of existence, what happens? I become aware of the fact that I am Sat Chit Ananda Swarupa. Sat Swarupa, what it, it indicates? That Sat actually is not a character, it is actually negation of some limitations that I think. I was born at a particular point of time. I'm going to die at a particular point of time. And as long as I live, I'm going through six changes. Jayate, Asti, Vardhate, Viparinamate, Apakshiyate, Nasti. We are born, we exist, we start growing, we start transforming, then the decay process starts and the death is there. So that's what our existence is, I think. So here the scripture asserts that the real nature is not the psychophysical existence. Beyond that, the conscious principle is Satsvarupa. It was, it is, it will be. It was through eternity in the past, it is, it will be in this future. So Sat is that which is Trikal Avadhita. The one whose existence cannot be negated by the past, present, and the future, these three phases of time, three kal, avadita, uninterrupted. Chit, that which is conscious, that such swarupa is not the matter, which has somehow conglomerated to give this consciousness. 
it actually the real phenomenon is the consciousness everything else is nothing there is no thing then what is there only consciousness nothing nothing doesn't mean that zero nothing means no thing no tangible thing all the solid things which we are seeing as matter is actually the projection of the consciousness consciousness alone exists that the real nature in me which is sat swarupa is chit swarupa it is conscious and the third is it is ananda swarupa it is ever in bliss if that's my real nature now my this present existence because of my ignorance somehow i have identified with my this psychophysical existence which itself is temporary whatever agonies whatever difficulties i'm going through it is all related to this limited sense of existence it can in no way touch my real nature my spiritual dimension which is trikal avadhita once i relate to that i get the answer that why i am thinking it to be something inescapable why should i have to have a learned helplessness it's just a passing phase there may be no answer for the time being but in it no way affects my real me in this life once i am aware of my spiritual dimension everything i can enjoy just think when we go for a ride in the roller coaster it gives us thrill it's not supposed to give us thrill it appears to be so dangerous suddenly you are taken up almost at 45 degree angle and you fall almost at 45 degree angle it's going round at a tremendous speed you are sitting in the roller coaster and you are shouting it get thrill you know that fear is not the real fear it gives you happiness that's why you go for that ride again and again why that roller coaster gives us thrill because somehow we have that idea that however <clears throat> this ride may be rough and appear to be dangerous there is sufficient security which has been taken i am not going to be killed when you know you are not going to be killed all these ups and downs can give you thrill so in this life once i know that i am sitting in the roller coaster the real me is in way no way affected can nothing affect that real me all these ups and downs for the time being just the way we are not in the roller coaster the throughout your life just to enjoy for some time we go to this amusement parks and just have a ride just to experience the joy it's just a small part of my life here comes the answer to acquire freedom we have to go beyond the limitations of this universe if i take this to be real this to be the only plane of existence i can never go beyond this inescapable trauma i can never get rid of the learned helplessness which results in pessimism in this life we find as a young man we are all optimist and as we grow old we become more and more pessimist it's only because we are trying to relate to this sensed dimension of existence we can never we if we can never take it as a joy ride as a ride in the roller coaster nothing is going to affect me i that no problem can be permanent then it can never we can never actually acquire that freedom and when we are relating to that spiritual dimension of existence all problems become temporary and it becomes local it is not going to affect the real me it is just affecting a small part of me as long as i am identified with this psychophysical existence which is a very small part of my existence it wasn't there it is just like the swami vivekananda will give that example the river suddenly falling on a uh, groove on a deep groove and there starts a whirlpool for some time the things which fall on it goes round and round and then it escapes our ego is just like that whirlpool in which we are there for the time being dragging in all which we can find but that's not our permanent place at last 
we all are bound to get out of the whirlpool and be free. So this, all our problems become something local. It cannot pervade our entire being. And that's what we find Swami Vivekananda in his uh, this Aratrikam, the song which we sing every day in our Vesper service. There's a line, Sampadatava Sripada Bhava Goshpada Vari Jathar. It speaks of this all, all pervasive program becoming local. The moment you relate to the spiritual dimension of existence, you relate to God, that He is the lotus feet of the Lord, is the treasure. Why it is treasure? Once I can hold onto it, all the problems which appears to be all pervasive, like the ocean, as if having no shores, it becomes just like the hoof of a cow. Shampadatava. Sripada Bhava Goshpada Vari Jathai. Vari means the, this limitless water, expanse of water of the ocean. It becomes Goshpada. Even a frog can jump over it. Just so small it is. All the problems of life, all the traumas of life, which I was thinking is something which I can never transcend. I can never go beyond. It becomes just like this small water collected in the footmark in the hoof mark of a cow. A just cow was passing through the ground. It just the ground was soft. Its hoof created an imprint and then there was wren. Some water was there inside that hoof mark. So that little, uh, what you say, that hoof mark of water, anyone can jump over it. So all the problems becomes that local. The moment I can relate to the divine to the spiritual dimension of existence. So now you will understand that why Swamiji is saying that to acquire freedom, we have to go beyond the limitations of this universe. This is just the one dimension of existence. Just the plane of, there's a two dimension of the paper. You cannot never find the answer there itself. That's what he's saying. You cannot find freedom there. You have to relate to that spiritual dimension. Perfect equilibrium, or what the Christians call the peace of peace that passeth all understanding, cannot be had in this universe, nor in heaven, nor in any place where our mind and thoughts can go, where the senses can fill, or which the imagination can conceive. That's why, even in the present modern psychology, positive psychology, They say that if science speaks of data, if science speaks of that information which we have gathered, that we assume nothing, then if in unbiased way we have to judge the state of being of the entire humanity, the data will show you that the so-called spiritually oriented person, those who are having devotional temperament, they cope up with life much better than those who are as such having no faith. Now, what's the reason? Let us forget. But being a scientist, I cannot be biased and just say these are all bogus. You say it is all dependent on facts and figures. So many experiments have been done on the Buddhist monks. Not only that, the Buddhist monks challenge the science, come and experience all your MRI on your brain and all, and it has been found that through meditation, they are going to a state of calmness, of tranquility, which in our so-called censored existence, with all our secular philosophy, we can never even imagine of. So that's the other dimension of existence. Unless we are relating, we can never acquire freedom. This is as simple as that. That's what Swami is saying. So we acquire freedom. To acquire freedom, we have to go beyond the limitations of this universe. It cannot be found here. Perfect equilibrium or what the Christians call the peace that passeth all understanding cannot be had in this universe, nor in heaven, nor in any place where our mind and thoughts can go, where the senses can fill or which the imagination can conceive. No such place 
can give us that freedom. Because all such places would be within our universe and it is limited by space, time and causation. There may be places that are more ethereal than this earth of ours, where enjoyments may be keener. But even those places must be in the universe and therefore in bondage to law. So we have to go beyond and real religion begins where this little universe ends. These little joys and sorrows and knowledge of things end there and the reality begins. Until we give up the thirst after life, the strong attachment to this, our transient conditioned existence, we have no hope of catching even a glimpse of that infinite freedom beyond. So as long as we take the reflection to be real, we are bound to be in bondage. We are going to drown and die in this worldly existence. The story of the narcissist, we told so many times from the word that word narcissistic came. Narcissus is a legendary character. What was his, he was a prince, but he was extremely handsome and that made him infatuated by his own beauty. He was so infatuated, he was so infatuated by his own physique, by his own beauty, that that used to occupy his entire existence. Throughout the day, he, would, he won't care for anything. He won't care for other person as a prince, as a successor, as a higher apparent. He was not uh, in any way uh, interested with his responsibilities. Throughout the day, whenever he used to get chance, he will go to the forest where there was a huge reservoir. And he will stand by the, just the, on the side of it, on the bank of it and go on looking his own reflection in the clean water, transparent water. And that's so strong was his infatuation. And one day he took the reflection to be real. He wanted to embrace it. He jumped and he drowned and died. So from that character, the word narcissistic has come. That one who is extremely self-possessed always thinking about their own self, not bothered about others. Whenever they meet others, they constantly brag that I am this, I am that. This type of self, uh, what is a possessed person, narcissistic, is not something that we should think that it is some, some other person, not me. In spiritual sense, we are all narcissistic. We, the Satchit Ananda Swarupa, somehow saw a reflection on the psychophysical existence and took that reflection to be real and we have dived into it. And that's the cause of our drowning and death from our spiritual dimension, the death to this worldly plane of existence. And unless we give this thirst up, there can never be freedom. The stories are there, so many nice stories. The Plato story of five cavemen speaks of the same thing. The five cavemen were enchained in such a way they can see only the wall of the cave. And just by the side of the cave, there was a road. On the other side of the road, there was some fire. Whoever used to pass through that road, whether it is person, whether it is a horse carriage, with all noise, what these five cavemen could see is just the shadows, the fire, uh, uh, is there on the other side of the road, the persons are passing, the horse, the carriage, the cattle are passing, their shadow falls on the wall of the cave. And these five men are enchained in such a way from the very life, from the, from the very in beginning of their life that they have seen only those shadows and nothing else. The noise, the cluttering and the shadows. And they take the shadows to be the reality because that's what they are seen. Now, one of the cavemen it's a wonderful story. Was his chain was removed? Was his chain was removed? And he now turned around, went to the world, saw this world, real world, the sun, the sky, this wonderful scenario. And he was enthralled. He was so ecstatic. 
and out of joy for some time he enjoyed and then he came back to give the news the good news to these other four men who were enchanted that what we are seeing is not real but they never believed they thought he has gone mad because for them that's the reality so for us also that's the thing which swamiji is saying until we give up the thirst after life unless we are unchained the strong attachment to this our transient conditioned existence we have no hope of catching even a glimpse of that infinite freedom that one who was enchained and the whose chain was removed unchained he have just catch that glimpse of that infinite freedom beyond for the others that itself is existence so it stands to reason then that there is only one way to attain to that freedom which is the goal of all the noblest aspirations of mankind and that is by giving up this little life giving up this little universe giving up this earth giving up heaven giving up the body giving up the mind giving up everything that is limited and conditioned if we give up our attachment to this little universe of the senses or of the mind we shall be free immediately the only way to come out of bondage is to go beyond the limitations of law to go beyond causation so when swami is saying this immediately we may that have the idea that i have no interest for life let death come i am ready but know it for certain that it will be just like throwing the baby along with the water in the bathtub so in the after the baby was washed you forgot to take out the baby and you thought the water is unclean the water has to be thrown and you throw the baby along with the water in the bathtub to create to clear to cure your headache you get rid of your head so that's what will happen if we again misunderstand it why because after all the bondage is not here which is finding expression as the body the bondage is in the mind unless the attachment is gone if we simply leave out this body as many do by physical suicide the mind is there to again bring us back to this physical plane of existence and sometimes this what you say this uh, cycle of birth and death will go on and on and on that we cannot just simply stop it just by giving up the body so what this giving up the body uh, means we have to understand as swami ji goes on with the discussion so he actually has not said giving up of the body along with that he told giving up of the mind that is also very important giving up everything that is limited and conditioned so how to give up that swami ji will speak up in the next paragraph so let us proceed we just uh, to what swami ji is saying but it is a most difficult thing to give up the clinging to this universe a few ever attend to that there are two ways to do that mentioned in our books one is called the neti neti not this not this the other is called iti iti this this the former is the negative and the latter latter is the positive way to understand let us take an example uh neti neti means what that once you understand that after all i am not the body not the mind and i have that strong detachment not to yield to the winds of the mind enough of it well the freedom is there for me here and just now this here and now i don't have to wait for my death to go somewhere eha eha i here and now i can enjoy that freedom but it is very difficult just to give an example this world as we say is like a dream when in a dream we see so many things we wake up then i realize oh it was just a dream sometimes we have nightmare we shout we cry we shout we shout help me help me and at last i found it was just simply nightmare nothing else and it happens repeatedly now there are ways to get out of it this similarly this life is also a nightmare 
as per our spiritual dimension of existence is concerned it is a mere nightmare which we are going through how to get rid of it they say that before that the those who have this experience of nightmare before going to sleep just have that strong determination that this is the same thing this every day i find a particular uh, situation which results in inescapable trauma in my dream and then when i find that i am almost going to be annihilated i wake up i am perspiring i am shouting i am shaking so now they say that before going to sleep you just visualize it and deny so this is just a dream dream so this helps in your what you say that uh, training the mind so you won't have those nightmare in future but it has been found it is very difficult just to say that this is nightmare and deny and not to have it with most of us we continue so for them it is told practice ititi what is that ititi the same thing which happens in the way we can get rid of nightmare the same thing can be practiced in the spiritual existence also what is ititi that before going to sleep the thing which you have in nightmare you visualize you visualize and know with for certain that it is the nightmare i visualize it consciously everything in dream it happens unconsciously now i visualize it consciously now a wonderful thing happen when even when you go to this the state of nightmare the nightmare may come but you will have the feeling oh it is a dream it happens with all of us how you know when as a small child that most of the child have the habit of wetting the bed how they get rid of it just by same visualization at the beginning they thought that they have got up they have went to the toilet and actually it was happening in the bed so now that feedback system that actually have not gone to the toilet actually i am wetting the bed this thing before they go to sleep when the mother says don't do it and this thing registers in his mind now even in dream when he sees that i am going to the toilet immediately thinks no no it is dream now that makes him wake up so it is witnessing your dream in the dream that is the thing which is called iti iti we do it this is the practice if you ask you go to any uh, <clears throat> psychologists who deals with this nightmares they will say yes this visualization is the way by which gradually we get rid of it that don't simply deny it visualize it every day before going to sleep that this is the thing occasionally i get nightmare you will find that in sleep the thing generally those who have nightmare it is the same thing that makes them afraid that makes them scared night after night maybe every fortnight they will have that dream they wake up so what to do visualize before going to sleep and then in the sleep once you get habituated in visualizing in the sleep when the dream comes you will know it is a dream though you are in the dream you know it is a dream and it doesn't affect you you now start witnessing it so that's the concept of iti iti i accept but i am detached i have visualized it that it's a dream so i mean in our spiritual life that now my all this mind is befooling me but i have to visualize it again and again that this is the way i am neither the karta nor the bhokta the mind is befooling me and then i go to my life with my all my responsibilities with my all my act then i can be aware of my dream i need not be totally get i, I need not be totally identified with the dream and that's the thing swami ji is indicate just with an example we are trying to understand the negative way is the most difficult that neti neti it is only possible to the men of the very highest exceptional minds and gigantic wills who simply stand up and say no i will not have this and the mind and the body obey their will and they come out successful it's very rare there are a few but it's very rare but such people are very rare the vast majority of mankind choose the positive way the way through the world 
making use of all the bondages themselves to break those very bondages. Take use of the bondage to break the bondage. How? The mother feels love for the child. There is no need to deny that love. So you are using that bondage. But know it for certain that the Lord has created me, the mother, in such a way I am bound to love the child. The Lord to take care of his creation, to sustain his creation has implanted that love in me. My genes itself are altruistic. It is not something I have developed. So I am just an instrument in the Lord's hand that I am not denying. So this is a positive way that I am not denying the love and just going away. Accept it. But knowing it for certain, I am just an instrument. The Lord is working through me. I am the channel of the Lord's love. So I have no expectation. Lord through me is taking care of his creation. And the entire creation is so varied. Each and every one has his own samskara. I cannot get a, uh, what is an apple from a, uh, what's from any other, say orange tree. However, I may water, an orange tree will produce orange only. So each and every one has their sanskara. God has given me love to water that plant. As per the sanskara, the plant will grow. I have no control over that. But once we have the sense of kartritra and bhaktritva, then what happens? I start projecting my wishes, my expectations on one whom I'm taking care of. So that's the thing that Swamiji is saying. The vast majority of mankind, we cannot get rid of all our responsibilities. So the positive way is to go through the world. I don't deny the love. I don't deny all those uh, these affections which I have for others. When I find the world is, uh, what is it, cheating me. They have very selfish motives. That doesn't make me dry. I know the Lord has his own way to take care of his responsibilities. I have no expectations. I give whatever I have to give, but I expect nothing. And that's how gradually I go beyond the bondages. How I gradually go? As the expectation falls off, your egos bind with the mental modules are getting loosened. As we were giving that example, that to switch off the fan, to stop the fan, which is revolving, I never try to just hold the blades of the fan and stop it. That will be uh, just like an annihilation. What I do, I just simply switch off. And the fan doesn't stop immediately. It goes on revolving for some time till its momentum is exhausted and then it stops. So in karma yoga is switching off. But previously all that with the idea of doer and enjoyer, I was so much hooked with my psychophysical existence that this so this constant cycle of uh, avidya kama karma, the desire, this ignore from the ignorance arises the desire that results in action that goes on and on. It doesn't stop for life after life. What I have done that this karma, avidya kama karma, is the desire that has switched off. Immediately the fan won't stop. It will go on because of this past karma. It will go on for some time to stop once for all. So that's how gradually I, everyone doesn't have that strong will that neti neti, that as this world is a mere projection, <clears throat> I simply renounce it and have nothing to do with it. You cannot get rid of your mind. Your mind you will find creates a world wherever you are. It's not that easy. So you have to go through it gradually. That's what speaks of the karma yoga. The vast majority of mankind choose the positive way, the way through the world, making use of all the bondages themselves to break those very bondages. This is also a kind of giving up. Only it is done slowly and gradually by knowing things, enjoying things, and thus obtaining experience and knowing the nature of things until the mind lets them all go at last and becomes unattached. This always, most for most of us, the 
renunciation comes through bhoga when in your mind someone told such and such movie is a wonderful movie you develop a desire to watch that movie unless you have watched that movie you don't feel satisfied but when you have once watched the movie you don't have the inclination to watch it for the second time it's all over so the detachment comes only after having that experience so that's what for most of us that's what even in sankhya yoga they say that prakriti like a dancer is alluring the entire world we are getting allured by it but then what's the mukti that there are some who has observed the performance once they have observed now they got detached they leave now the dancer is luring the others who are yet to go through that experience so prakriti like the dancer is going on with its dance we as the purusha gets for some time just enchained in this fairy's will where we never just are in the fairy's will forever we get into it have a right come out so purushas like that is having the right in the fairy's will and coming out and then this gradually through these experiences we are rendering we are going to have that freedom so the former way of obtaining non attachment is by reasoning the netinati is the way reasoning and the latter way is through work and experience <clears throat> the first is the path of gyana yoga and is characterized by the refusal to do any work the second is that of karma yoga in which there is no cessation from work everyone must work in the universe only those who are perfectly satisfied with the self whose desires do not go beyond the self whose mind never strays out of the self to whom the self is all in all only those do not work the rest must work that's the thing very interesting even that's why swami vivekananda when he formed the ramakrishna organization he gave so much importance to the karma yoga it's not for those this sanyasa is not for those who has to develop, develop total detachment for the world for those no organizations are required he found many are there who have somehow understood that this world is not going to give them the ultimate fulfillment which we all desire that realization has come but at the same time they are not having that strong will power to say that hey, let that everything go for once for all so what's the way out so even in the organization we find this karma yoga so that's why when anyone used to speak the senior with the senior swami is that swami ji you are out of sansar they said no we are also in samsara we are also this what is the difference this we are in the samsara performing the karma yoga consciously it's not only karma yoga all the yogas has been synthesized as <clears throat> in our life this is a very important thing it's that someone may think that i will just meditate it's impossible unless you have really reached that ultimate goal that so many faculties are there all has to be used in a proper way this dhyana yoga yes i meditate in the morning and the evening but what can i do throughout the day i cannot just simply remain in that state of meditation for the day long therefore the remaining day the karma yoga is the yoga bhakti yoga is the yoga analysis meditation that emotionally linking with the divine working in a detached fashion all this has to be balanced in our life so that our progress can be accelerated so that's what swami ji is indicating that everyone must work in the universe they cannot stop only those who are perfectly satisfied with the self atma ramascha munaya those are atmarati atma kama those who are satisfied with their self those who can dwell in the self accept them all has to work whose desires do not go beyond the self whose mind never strays out of the self to whom self is all in all only those do not work the rest must work a current rushing down 
of its own nature falls into a hollow and makes a whirlpool. And after running a little in that whirlpool, it emerges again in the form of the free current to go on unchecked. So this hollow, as we were saying, is resulting in the whirlpool is the ego. It's, the ego is like that hollow, which results in the whirlpool. What's the whirlpool? Once you have the ego, we are dragging in everything. I feel that I, as a this limited being, has a lot of limitations. I want this, I want that. Just the way the whirlpool will be dragging inside it all the things which passes nearby it. So it's constantly grabbing. So our ego makes is like that hollow, resulting in that whirlpool. And we are, for the time being, just going on pulling all the things. A time comes when that force is over, it emerges again in the form of the free current to go on unchecked. So this is the Swamiji is giving that example of the whirlpool. The ego is like that whirlpool. Each human life is like that current. It gets into the will, gets involved in this world of space, time and causation, wills round a little crying out, my father, my brother, my name, my fame, and so on. And at last emerges out of it and regains its original freedom. The whole universe is doing that, whether we know it or not, whether we are conscious or unconscious of it. We are all working to get out of the dream of the world. Man's experience in the world is to enable him to get out of its willpool. So with this, we will conclude our discussion. I have that idea that how knowingly and unknowingly we are all going towards freedom. Just take the bacteria. Somehow beyond it, someone is saying you are limitless. But it feels a little change in stimuli can kill it. Little more heat, little more light can kill it. So what it does, that the echo behind it, the self which is echoing behind it that you are limitless, to experience that limitless, the evolution starts. It will conglomerate with other cells to cope up with the nature. I am something which is infinite. How can I die? It's impossible. I will have to fight against the nature to experience that thing which is saying you are limitless. I, a few cells conglomerate, there's a division of labor. When I alone cannot do a thing, three, four persons, a group can work better. We take care of particular responsibilities and we can cope up better. And that's how the evolution has happened. A few cells conglomerated, there was division of labor. And that's how gradual evolution is happening at human being we find. There are some particular cells in my heart taking care of the circulation. Some in my stomach taking care of my digestion. The lymphatic nodes. There's all these, these lungs for respiration. So many cells performing different functions. How? Why? We have evolved that because of that echo, you are eternal. Which was ignorantly uh, identified with the limited existence. And we were evolving. In Vedanta, we never deny evolution, but that evolution has happened because of ignorance. And it's not going to happen on and on. It's cyclic. A time comes as a human being, we can realize that it is because of that wrong notion. I took the ego to be real. Actually, I am already limitless. I'm infinite. And that thing, that infinite, which is echoing through this body-mind complex, then all the delusion is happening. I'm taking this to be the real. I shout and the echo comes from the mountain. I think from the mountain, the sound is coming. But actually it is I who am shouting. Similarly here, it is echo. Seeing the echo from this body-mind complex, I think that's me. And that's why the evolution happened. I am, but in really, I am already perfect. And then this attempt to realize the limitless within the limit stops. That's the renunciation. No more. I don't attempt anymore to evolve physically. And then I complete the cycle. All this evolution now, all the things which conglomerated to evolve me to the highest rung, into the highest rung of, the spirit, of this uh, physical evolution, they start falling off to render you free. That's what 
it enables us to go beyond the will pull. So till then, we are all just gathering in my will pull, what my father, my brother, my name, my fame, and so on. And last emerges out of it and regains its original freedom. The whole universe is doing that. So now you will understand, knowingly, unknowingly, we are all doing this. Entire process of evolution is unknowingly trying to realize that infinite. At last, it does it knowingly and goes back to its original nature and the cycle is thus completed. The whole universe is doing that. Whether we know it or not, whether we are conscious or unconscious of it, we are all working to get out of the dream of the world. Man's experience in the world is to enable him to get out of its will. So we will continue with the discussion, remaining part of this lecture again in the next class. So thank you all. Namaskars for attending this class.